0: Well, good morning and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and all those things to you all. It is a joy to gather together, even if you're like me and you're gathering here this morning a little tired. Um, Yes, there's some amens on that one. Okay, thank you. We've had a, a wonderful series focusing on the wonders of His love. Hopefully you and your family in some small or big measure were greatly encouraged by our devotion guide that we were using this Advent series. And as you know, if you were following along in that, it came to an end. And yet here we have a bonus episode, if you will. A bonus episode of the wonders of His love. So if you have a Bible, the words will be on the screen, but we're going to still remain in Isaiah. The underlying theme was finding Jesus in Isaiah. And these promises of what God would do one great and glorious day. And so we're going to continue that here on our bonus Advent Sunday, and we're going to read from Isaiah 65, verses 17, to the end of the chapter, verse 25. So again, my hope is that our hearts are greatly encouraged as we take into consideration the wonders of God's love for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's hear God's Word. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Or an old man who does not fill out his days. Or the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands." They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy, and all my holy mountain, says the Lord. As we consider your word, this incredible picture of restoration and peace, God, we certainly pray that it would bring us timely encouragement in our lives that may feel a little not restored and definitely not at peace. Would you do a good work in us now, we pray, God, in the preaching and the hearing and the receiving of this, your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got to be honest with you, I've never been a big fan of the Advent wreath and accompanying themes of love, joy, peace, and hope, or whatever order they're supposed to be in. Biblically, those words, love, joy, peace, hope, they certainly have deep wells of meaning and complexity and relevancy to life. But those words lend themselves to soupy, shallow gobbledygook. And as a through-and-through Gen Xer, I want nothing to do with that. Did you know that the ancient historical Advent themes were death, judgment, heaven, and hell? Advent began in darkness, and in sin, and sorrow, and death. It embraced that reality and didn't seek to sugarcoat or sentimentalize a broke-down, sin-wrecked world. I mean, think about that wreath. That thing would be blazing with fire, wouldn't it? Be like heavy metal came to Advent or something like that. That's at least how it's in my head. Death, judgment. You know, you got the old school '80s logo. You know, font. Anyway, anyway. that historic Advent focus also didn't focus back in time on a baby born in the city of David. It actually focused more into the future. It was future-minded. When that baby who is now a king returns to finish off death, bringing judgment and hell to all evil sin and Satan and making all things new. With that focus, that future-minded focus, comes a sustaining hope in the king who makes all things new. As we wrap up our Advent series with this bonus Sunday, I want us to look forward to anticipate to do so with sustained hope in the King who returns. The King who returns to make all things new. That our focus on Advent would be one of anticipation, that we together would anticipate all things new. And as we consider that together, I want us to think of it in two ways that our passage really lays out for us. Advent anticipates all things new first that there will be no more sin and sorrow. So as we anticipate the all things new, that we anticipate a day when there's no more sin and sorrow. And then secondly, sort of on the other side of the same coin, not only is there no more sin and sorrow, but there's forever joy and gladness. That when we think of Advent, we think of Christ coming to bring to us something that we couldn't create on our own, to give to us something we couldn't earn on our own, A context where there's no more sin and sorrow. Instead, there's forever joy and gladness. So Let's consider that together and be encouraged, hopefully, this morning. Here in person or those who are watching online, let's be encouraged at the King who returns and brings about all things new. The making new work of King Jesus brings about the no mores. The no mores. There are three no mores in our passage that I hope are encouraging for us today. The first no more is that the making new work of Jesus brings about the no more memory of the former things. Look again at verse 17. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Not be remembered or come into mind. What are the former things? Well, in the context of Isaiah, the former things are the sin, is sin and the wreckage it leaves on our lives and this world. Everything about this sin-wrecked world will be gone with the making of all things new. And the making all things new work of the king who returns brings about a no-memory context. A no-memory of these former things. No memory of the sin-wrecked world in which we live. Now that's a pretty enticing and appetizing thought, right? To not have a memory of sin and shame and regret and turmoil and brokenness and hurt and devastation and war and pestilence and all the things that we could fill out that list. Isn't that a nice idea to have? No memory of that? That's something to anticipate, to look forward to. But I want us to wrestle with that. Why? Why do we have this? Now, is it just simply because when King Jesus returns, he's going to make something so amazing that we're not going to have any margins in our brain, in our hearts, in our memory banks to to even remember the former things? Sure. Possibly, yes. Probably, most likely. It will be so amazing that you won't have enough time to think back over when things were awful. That's certainly possible. But there's something even more compelling as to why there will be no memory of such a place. And that's because God is not going to remember. God's not going to remember. God will have no memory of it. Right before our verses, in verse 16, we find this. Because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. That's from God. God is saying, they are forgotten. What enormous and incredible peace that brings. That God will remember no more this sin-wrecked world. How many of us have had sleepless nights because all we can do is remember the sin and the wreckage it brings. There will be no more sleepless nights sunk down under the weight of those memories because God will remember it no more. It's amazing. What encouragement. Anticipate this, friends. That's one of our no mores. The making new work of Jesus brings about no more memory of the former things. We also find that there's no more weeping and distress. Verse 19. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Think about the notion and the feels associated with weeping and cry of distress. Weeping is the emotional outlet of pain It is a felt need being viscerally expressed. And the cry of distress is the emotional outlet of an overwhelming, terrifying circumstance. It is the anguish of the soul being expressed. And and Jesus is saying, God is saying, because of the return of King Jesus, there will be no more of that both in the experience of weeping and the reasons for it, in the experience of distress and the reason for it, there will be no more. I think we can all agree that's a pretty incredible future to anticipate. No more. No more crying in those sleepless nights. No more crying out with distress. We see those around us suffer as we suffer, as we feel the weight and shame and sting of sin and death. No more. No more. Well, there's a third no more. No more. No more memory of former things. No more weeping and distress, and no more death. Verse 20 No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. The worst anguish in this life is death death to young, death to old, death that colors so much of our experience. Not only that, there is also, this passage goes on to show, the pain of a life not well lived or filled with so much turmoil and frustration that potential was never reached. Sometimes our plans fail. Sometimes our hopes are dashed. Sometimes our dreams are killed. Sometimes our health is lost. Sometimes our loved ones die. And this reality is. Two will be no more. No more. Look and listen. Everything is going to be okay. I know I know you have lost young ones I know you will lose a spouse I know you struggle with sin I know your marriage is empty. I know you are alone. Longing. I know your body is wasting away. I know we may have to do your funeral this coming year. I know you're exhausted with anxiety or depression or both. I know you have cried out, how long, O Lord? It may be as recent as last night. I know you hear me say everything is going to be okay and are angry at those words because right now everything is definitely not okay. I know. I know. And I'm sorry for those things. And in spite of them, I can still stand here and say to you, everything will be okay. These things do not get the last word, they will not win the night, they will not hurl you into a forever darkness of despair. And I know I'm asking you to risk the most dangerous thing of all, hope. I do so because Jesus. Because Jesus makes an end of all those things as he makes all things new. There will be no more. No memory, no weeping, no death, no more. Because something better is coming and everything is going to be okay. Dual purpose. Picking up on these words, we find the moment in the Bible that gives us a peek at when that king returns. And in Revelation 21, we find these words upon his return. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. What a day. What a day when those no mores arrive. I can't wait for the no mores. I know you can't wait for the no mores. And those no mores aren't going to be our only experience when the king returns and makes all things new. Yes, there will be no mores, but there will also be forever joy and gladness. The making new work of Jesus brings about a forever joy and gladness because Jesus will create the place of forever joy and gladness. Looking again at verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Instead of the lurking, lingering shadow of shame and regret and pain and loss, there will be in the place of those things abounding joy for those who belong to the king. And furthermore, the joy and gladness that seems so fleeting in this life, so easily frittered away, will be replaced with a joy and gladness that's called forever. It's adjective has a time stamp to it. It's a forever joy. A forever gladness. So the making of all things new. Will bring about a forever joy and gladness. How? 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 Because God will be lavishing us with his forever joy and gladness. Did you catch that in verse 19? And I... God speaking through His prophet to His people in the pages of Scripture through the history of time and saying, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The source and means and foundation of our forever joy and gladness is found in what King Jesus brings to us, and that is God's forever joy and gladness. It's not found necessarily in what King Jesus makes, even though that's going to be amazing. Do you realize that there will be light and colors that our eyes cannot see right now that will be brilliant and bright for our eyes to see in glory? It will be that amazing that there will be new colors because there's new light? Like that's going to be overwhelming and that alone is not going to be the source of and foundation and means of our joy. God's joy for us, over us, with us, will be the source and means and foundation of our forever joy and gladness. God's not tolerating you and then bringing you in because it's the holidays, like maybe you did with some of your family who doesn't have an uncle. And if you think, I don't have an uncle, maybe you're the uncle, sorry, God's not tolerating us in glory. He is beckoning us, welcoming us with His forever joy and gladness. That is our source. And just so we understand, what God is is based off who God is. And what He does is because of His nature and character. And so if His joy is... Forever, it's also limitless. It's infinite. It doesn't run out. It doesn't deplete. It doesn't grow weary. Therefore, in the making of all things new, neither will our joy. Because God's joy for us and over us and with us is our means i love how a different prophet puts it zephaniah 3:17 the lord your god is in your midst a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you by his love he will exalt over you with loud singing not only the no mores but also forever joys forever joys. Now, you and I, we can actually go about experiencing some of that joy and gladness now, even in the mix of sin and sorrow. Even in the mix of remembering former things. Even in the mix of weeping and distress. Even at the moment of death, we can still taste and know and experience this joy and gladness now. We don't know it in full measure like we will one great day, but what we know now, we know truly. Truly. We can know this now. I want to encourage you in three ways that we can know this now. Know this joy and gladness now. Not fully, but definitely truly. First, we can experience this joy and gladness now through the gospel. Through the gospel. There is no joy and gladness outside of the saving work of Jesus Christ. There are fleeting moments of joy and gladness, but the kind of joy and gladness that builds up and out to forever joy and gladness, that's not found outside of saving work of Jesus Christ. Christ did some incredible things for us. We were so sunk down in our sin and shame that we had no hope of ever, ever coming out of it. So Christ defeated the power of sin in his life, death, and resurrection. Christ paid or satisfied the penalty of sin in his life, death, and resurrection. And one day when Christ returns, he will remove the presence of sin fully and forever, fully eradicated from all memory banks that we have. There is no joy and gladness outside of faith in Jesus Christ. And so if that is true of your heart today, then you have experienced in your life a taste of what you will know in full measure forever, the joy and gladness of knowing Christ through faith. If that is not true for you, if that is not true of what your heart believes and knows right now, then then hear the call. Hear this call of good news that in Christ God has overcome sin, death, and Satan. And that all those who look to Christ through faith, trusting his life, death, and resurrection, will be saved. So do not delay. Hear this call. We know this joy and gladness through the gospel to be rescued from our sin and welcomed into the family of God. Secondly, we know this joy and experience or gladness, and we can experience it in our lives now through the church as imperfect as the church may be, and it is, I know it, and it won't be perfect this side of glory, but there's something about gathering together with each other to make much of God and His grace by means of the gospel for our encouragement, for God's glory, and for the evangelism of the lost, that there is great joy in being the church. We together get to taste Just a little bit. Each time we are gathering together, whether it's like this on a Sunday morning or in the small group or in one-to-one moments in which we're encouraging and equipping and building each other up, we can experience in this life, in the midst of its hardships, a little bit of that joy and gladness with other pilgrims along the way journeying on to that forever place of joy and gladness. So God cares deeply about the church. And while we are imperfect, this side of glory, God's care for us doesn't stop. In fact, this is his means for our hearts to be encouraged and equipped to live out our lives. So if you cut out church from your life, or if you keep it an arm's length away, then you're just putting yourself into a sea of distress and sorrows, and and you're doing it on your own and in your own strength, and you're going to sink. So know that God's design for the church is that we get to taste and see that he is good and experience on this side of glory a little bit about what's to come. So don't cut it out of your life. Thirdly, third place that we can experience joy and gladness now this side of glory is that when others come to faith in Jesus with us. That when others come to faith in Christ, the joy and gladness that come with being a church family that's not ingrown, turned in on itself, only obsessed over itself and its things and its possessions and its experiences. But rather sees itself as a beacon, as a hospital, as a place for others to come and hear the good news of a forever king who brings about a forever joy and a forever gladness and gets rid of all of those no mores. To be a place that cares so deeply about Nashua and its surrounding region that we want to be uh, that sort of beacon that ushers and calls others in from the dark and from the cold. Come and live. Come and treasure this Christ with us. Come and see that the Lord is good. To be a place that doesn't look inward but upward and outward. There is joy and gladness there that will fuel us all the more to keep holding up and holding out good news in a harsh world. We can taste it, y'all. We can taste it now. We can taste it in these ways. We can taste it with the gospel. We can taste it as we're gathered together as the church. We can taste it when we're on mission. We get to taste and see that God is good and that what he brings is really, truly forever joy and gladness. So friends, please know that the darkness does not win, that death is not victorious. And while we celebrate the wonders of God's love with the advent of Christ, let's not neglect celebrating the wonders of God's love with Christ's next advent, when the no mores and the forever joys come with him. Let us be encouraged with our King. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would indeed be with us and strengthen us and encourage us in our lives and our hearts. God, would you help us to see all that you have done for us in Christ and all that Christ brings to our lives. God, may that bring us strength. May that give us hope. And may we better know you as a result of this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.